This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Ron. This episode was recorded before I launched Politicology when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have questions, comments, or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com or find us online at politicology.com. Enjoy. Hello from the Lincoln Project, and welcome back. I'm Ron Steslow. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the rhetoric Donald Trump has used when talking about members of the military and their commitment to the United States, and how his actions have impacted the lives of military members and their families. We have two very special guests joining on the podcast today to help us better understand these implications of Trump's words and actions. Former Navy SEAL and president of Veterans for Responsible Leadership, Dan Barkoff, and Gold Star mom, Judy Gentz, whose son, Captain Joel Gentz, was a combat rescue officer who died during a rescue mission in Afghanistan in 2010. Thank you both for being on the podcast and sharing your story and Joel's story with all of us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Dan, just to help us with a little bit of background, can you, can you talk about why you decided to join the Navy in the first place? Joining the military for me... It was just something I always knew I was going to do. You know, I think some people are wired that way. I mean, some people join the military, people join the military for a variety of reasons, um, you know, to pay for college, to uh, to learn a skill, um, a, a sense of patriotism. I, I was kind of drawn to it, uh, not necessarily for any of those reasons. Um, for me, it was just something that kind of captivated my imagination. And, you know, growing up at, at various times, I I think I wanted to do just about every job there was in the military. So, you know, I wanted to fly jets. I wanted to drive tanks. I wanted to be a Marine, all these different things. And uh, ultimately uh, ended up choosing the Naval Academy um, in part, in a large part, because uh, the, the field to choose from at that point was sort of the broadest. So, you know, in, you could do anything in the Navy. You could fly jets. You could be on a submarine. Um, you could do anything in the Marine Corps, you could drive tanks, you could uh, be an infantry officer. It just seemed kind of the broadest range of possibilities at that point. I only applied to, to service academies. Um, you know, I don't come from a military family. My parents both uh, did not serve. Um, I've got one grandfather going back to World War II who served, uh, but never left the U.S. Um, so I'm not from a military family. It was just a uh, just something I was always drawn to. Judy, could you share a bit about what motivated Joel to join the Air Force? So initially, Joel wanted to be an astronaut. And he, in high school, did a lot of research about who was flying the space shuttle at the time. And most of the pilots were test pilots in the Air Force. So that was his plan, was to go to ROTC and to uh, become a pilot so that he could ultimately become an astronaut. Um, 
And actually, he was offered a pilot slot uh, through ROTC, which he turned down, um, much to the dismay of the commander at the time. I thought he was a little nuts, but he had met and talked with people in the pararescue community and decided that um, he wanted to be a pararescueman, that the combat rescue officer was a new career field that they had recently developed within the last 10 years. And he just really wanted to be a rescue person. Um, My husband and I are both nurses, and he said, I think rescuing is in my blood. And so uh, that's what he did. He went into pararescue. Wow. In 2016, during the campaign, Donald Trump attacked the family of Army Captain Humayun Khan and Captain Khan's father, spoke at the Democratic National Convention. And Khan was a U.S. Army captain who was killed in the Iraq War in 2004. Trump went as far as to say that Captain Khan would still be alive if Trump was elected president in 2004. And Khan's father told ABC News, this is the most cruel thing you can say to grieving parents. Do you remember when that happened, Judy? I do remember that, yes. What was your reaction when you heard that? Well, I was appalled by several things. I was especially appalled at his criticism of Mrs. Khan, who he made reference that, you know, she was subjugating to her husband because she didn't say anything on the stage and that, you know, this is how people of that Muslim faith treat their their women, basically. And what Mrs. Khan later said was that they had put up her son's face like on a huge jumbotron type screen. And she was staring at her son and she was speechless. And I absolutely can understand that reaction because losing a child from any way, you know, any, any death of a child by, from a parent's perspective is something you just don't get used to. And, you know, even now, 10 years later, you know, I have times where I just can't even believe that Joel is gone. Um, So the lack of empathy and the lack of respect for Captain Khan's service was absolutely appalling to me. And the disrespect to his family and the lack of understanding was just unbelievable to me. Dan, do you remember that moment? And, and do you recall, um, I mean, I, I I remember seeing it and thinking, uh, you know, uh, as a civilian, there's there's just there's no coming back from a moment like this for a for a candidate. And yet, how you know how mistaken we all were thinking that Donald Trump couldn't come back from something horrifically offensive like that. Do you remember when that happened, and what was your reaction? And do you remember the the reaction of other service members? I'd been a civilian, uh, you know, I was a civilian in in 2016 by about six years at that point. Um, but, you know, I, I remember very cr- clearly, um, you know, the, the reverence, the deserved reverence that the military and the military family to include, uh, you know, civilians who have a loved one in uniform, the, the reverence that we uh, place around the Gold Star community and the folks who, who gave their life, um, you know, the ultimate 
act of humility and selflessness, um, there is nothing that is more noble um, in, in kind of any context. And to see it sort of treated so uh, tritely and flippantly and, and frankly, cruelly uh, by a man who at every turn throughout his life has uh, chosen the selfish and self-serving route, um, you know, it, it highlighted a couple things about about Trump to me. I mean, one, he just does not get it. Like he he really just his brain does not have that part that allows him to see empathy. And um, and 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 a second point, you know, he just does not get the military like you. You can't do that. And it, it um, you know, it just it just baffles me. I mean, that's just one of the reasons, one of several, one of many that. Um, you know, the veterans in my group are, are against Trump. Um, you know, he, he's shown that he does not care about people who sacrifice their life for this country, except as it, as it, you know, applies to his own personal fortunes. You know, we say that you just can't do that. And you want to believe that, uh, that, that the person sitting in the Oval Office uh, that you would never have to worry about that kind of behavior, right? From the from the commander in chief, and yet we've seen time and time again. We'll talk about some other examples here. That in fact, he can do it, and he does do it. And I wonder, we we have this reaction that well, he just can't do that, and I think a lot of people do. But then, but then either the outrage fades, or um, or we move on to the next the next outrageous thing. I wonder if you have any thoughts about why that is. Why doesn't it seem to stick to him the way it would anybody else, uh, particularly his, his, his behavior toward his treatment of military families and his, and his callousness, irreverence toward Gold Star families? So I, I struggle a little bit because I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So I don't want to. Oh, you know, yeah. It's tempting to get into like diagnosis mode here. Sure. Enough people have toyed with that. I, I'll leave that alone. But I, I think that the president is incapable or unwilling. And I think it's more of a willfulness to learn from mistakes. He won't admit that he's made a mistake. And so like you or I, if we mess up, we change our behavior. We, we alter what we do because by and large, as a People like to have approval from society. And, you know, fundamentally, I believe most people are good and they choose and want to do good. And so we learn, you know, from kids on up, we learn from our mistakes. And sadly, Mr. Trump seems incapable of that. Uh, I don't think he admits that he's made error, even though it's, you know, you can show him a video of himself lying and he will deny that. Um, and consequently, he does not learn from mistakes he's made. And I think that's really problematic for anyone, but especially a commander in chief. Um, you know, he is to be our, in theory, our example and leader, and yet he's not capable of learning. And that's scary to me. Yeah, it's scary to me too. Um, and uh, this is something we haven't spent a lot of time talking about, but that I'm curious about. Uh, Dan, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but what does this do to the culture in the military, whether whether it's active duty or retired or just 
military culture in general when the president behaves this way? It's a great question. And, and this is what I would say about the military. And I've been asked before um, about, uh, you know, would this affect morale or, or something like that? And um, the short answer is no, I don't think it does. Um, and, and I'll tell you why. And I'll explain why. So Trump, Trump is a, is a danger to our democracy on a number of different levels. Um, you know, the, the constitutional norms, um, you know, he's trying to, to create by executive fiat to, to basically take over the role of Congress. He's done that in the last 24 hours. Um, but the military, we have an all volunteer professional military. It has been that way since the, the end of the Vietnam war and the, and the end of conscription. The people in the military are going to do their job. People in the military are pros. Um, and you know, POTUS is so far removed from, um, you know, the day-to-day lives of people in the military, you know, it's, it's a lot more, um, it's a lot more concerning to have a company commander who, uh, in the 82nd airborne who acts the way Donald Trump does, uh, in, uh, in some ways than, than it is for, uh, you know, for the president to act that way. Um, but, you know, that being said, um, you know, I, I can't help but think people see what a charlatan he is. Um, you know, there is no job in the military uh, at any level that you would want Donald Trump doing. OK, you're a you're a PFC in boot camp. Do you want Donald Trump as your roommate making his bed? No, you're going to be doing push ups all day. You know, he's going to lie and say that, you know, somebody else should have made their bet or, or whatever. Do you want Donald Trump leading a platoon of soldiers in Afghanistan? No, he's not going to, you know, he's going to lie. He's going to say, yeah, we went to that checkpoint um, when in fact he didn't. And he doesn't care about the mission. He doesn't care about his men. Um, would you want Donald Trump leading, a, a, you know, a commanding officer on a submarine? Of God, no. Right. Like, you know, these these are all roles in the military that are dependent on honor, good order, discipline, um, teamwork, and, and essentially humility. The military works. American soldiers win in combat because they are willing to do what's best for the team at the expense of their own personal safety. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Can you think of a statement that less describes Donald Trump? When has Donald Trump ever done anything good for the team ever? Unless it, you know, it somehow serves his purposes. You know, the, you go into a room, you clear a room in a, at a close quarters battle, uh, problem. Um, you know, the first two guys in are checking the corners. The corners are not the biggest threat to those two individuals. You have to clear your corners because it's the biggest threat to the team. Um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, when we give someone the Congressional Medal of Honor, time and time again, they're given the Congressional Medal of Honor because they put personal interest, personal safety aside, and they did what had to be done to save their team. And military, uh, you know, military values, um, you know, respect that, highlight that, and and emphasize that. And our training and, and the culture of the military, it's all about the team. And there is nothing at all on any level about Donald Trump that, that's about the team. He's, he's the most selfish, least fitting person to be the commander in chief one could possibly imagine. You know, I recently interviewed Stuart Stevens, who I think is how we came to know you, Dan. Yes. And, uh, and one of the things you remind me of one of the things he said in that interview, which was think about the community leaders that you, uh, you sort of the pillars of, of raising a family in America, you have a coach and would you want Donald Trump to be your coach? Right. Would you want Donald Trump to be your teacher? Would you want him to be your minister? These leadership positions at the most local level that people are reliant on and and very familiar with, and if you think about if you go through the list of them, you know, would you want him to be your firefighter? Would you? Would you? And driving your children's bus, right? Right. Would you? Would you want him to do any of those jobs where you where you really care about the outcome, where you want to know that, for example, your kids are in good hands, and two a one. The answer is always no. It's obviously always no. And so why would you want him to be president of the United States, the most powerful person in the world, the commander in chief? Why would you why would you want him to be in that job? And Judy, I'd love to know what you think is the disconnect between the way people think about those those really important local positions of leadership and and how they seem to think about the president of the United States. I wish I understood that. I, I truly wish I did. Um, you know, I, I actually have family members who have supported this president and I just shake my head. I don't, I, I literally don't get it. The only thing I can think of is that he is a master of projection. And so for example, you know, people have reason to be upset and angry, especially right now with the whole COVID isolation going on. And if there is one thing that Donald Trump is an expert at, it is projecting fear, anger, um, negativity. And for people who are experiencing that, I think it's easy for them to join him in that. So it's not you know, sadly, it's not because of positive mm. qualities that people mm. relate to him. It's for all the negativity. Um, and and people who, you know, buy, who buy the message of, you know, the stock market is doing great. And, you know, look at your 401k. For people who, for whom that is the most important thing for them, they, you know, they like that. Yeah. Okay, let's switch topics a little bit. And I'm going to ask you about John McCain and another similar case to Captain Khan. But in 2015, then candidate Donald Trump spoke about Senator McCain saying, he's not a war hero. He was a war hero because he got captured. I like people who weren't captured. 
Dan, how did you and other veterans react when you heard about this? Yeah, so that's uh, that's just dr- demonstrably false. I mean, jo- John McCain um, was tortured by uh, the North Vietnamese for five and a half years. Um, you know, he came home from that war uh, unable to lift his you know his hands above his shoulder. Um, that's kind of by any definition, that's kind of taken one for the team. Um, you know, I, I truly, you know, it's another one I'm truly baffled by and I'm baffled by his continued support. I mean, John McCain, sure. I mean, you know, I, I consider myself like pretty close to a, to a McCain Republican. However, um, regardless of what you think of his politics, uh, regardless of what you think of his position on taxes, you can't besmirch the guy's service. Um, you know, POWs are another one of those categories of people who have truly, truly sacrificed for our country. Um, you know, even short-term uh, POWs, you know, from Gulf War One or Jessica Lynch or something, you know, for weeks on end, these people were at the mercy, at the whim of the enemy. And John McCain uh, did that for five and a half years. And there were, you know, Vietnam POWs who um, you know, did not come back with all of their honor, but, you know, he's not one of them. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, you know, and in sharp contrast to, to Trump, right? I mean, Trump, you know, after cheating on his SATs, uh, got five, you know, draft deferments, uh, for bone spurs and, you know, his father paid a doctor off and, um, you know, he never had to go to Vietnam. Right. And, you know, in, in the eighties and, you know, in, on Howard Stern, he compares, um, you know, having sexual relations with, uh, a bunch of people in New York city in the eighties to, to his Vietnam. I'm not okay with that. The Vietnam veterans are heroes. The Vietnam veterans held the line against real communist foes, uh, from the late 1950s to 1975. You know, uh, one way, you know, people can, can take what they want from, uh, you know, from the Vietnam war, you know, some people see it as a failure. Um, it's not a failure to the men and women who fought it. Um, you know, they saw themselves as doing a mission a national mission that, uh, multiple commander in chiefs from both parties thought was important. And, uh, they sacrificed in the national interest. Uh, you know, the POWs are, are the, the clearest example of that besides the, the folks who were killed. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's disgraceful. I mean, the man is, uh, you know, a charlatan of the highest order. Uh, he's a coward. Um, he's a liar. He lied about that war. He lied about, um, you know, his, his, uh, attempts to, to go into service in that war. Um, time and time again, he's, uh, he's demonstrated that he fundamentally has just no concept whatsoever of professional military operations. Um, and, you know, he thinks it's all just like movies he watches on TV for 12 hours a day. So I, I don't have, uh, I don't have a lot of time for, for Trump on that one. Yeah. And you, you might've covered this a little bit earlier, but we talked about morale a little bit, but what does it mean for the safety and stability of, uh, military members that the president is so dismissive of the sacrifices of fallen soldiers and prisoners of war? The problem with Trump, well, one of the problems with Trump is he's also, you know, appointed people to various high-level positions who are who are actual decision makers, who I don't feel have, uh, you know, the, the the country's best interest at heart, and and you know, Trump sees 
men and women in the military as as pawns. They're just pawns that, you know, he can make them stand in formation and he can fly into Bagram or whatever. And, you know, they'll turn out at the dining hall because they're ordered to. And, you know, they'll give him, a, you know, a round of applause and he's going to look good and he can wear his red hat and stuff like that. And, you know, he really, number one, I don't trust him. Um, you know, at, at various times, he's gotten a couple of things right. You know, the couple of things he's gotten right are far, far outweighed by, uh, you know, some of the, the real stupid things that he's done, uh, both tactically and strategically. Ultimately, the issue with Trump in the military is his fundamental dishonesty and his lack of honor. And how can you trust someone like that? How do yeah. you, how do you yeah. trust someone to send your kids into combat, your wife, your husband, your father into combat, and you can't tell them to, to you know, you can't trust them to tell the truth about coronavirus? Yeah. And that, you know, being able to trust him leads to one of the hottest topics with regard to Trump and the military right now, which is the bounties uh, that are being paid by Russia. As background for our listeners here who are most likely familiar with this, but um, in June, the New York Times broke the story that a Russian military intelligence unit secretly offered cash bounties to Taliban-linked militants for killing American troops in Afghanistan. And they also reported that U.S. intelligence came to their conclusions about Russian bounties months ago and that the intelligence was included in the president's written briefing. Despite this, Trump has claimed repeatedly that the information had not even reached his desk. And I think he sort of just kept repeating that statement in, the, in one of his most recent interviews. Oh, it didn't reach my level. It didn't reach my level. But he finally admitted, uh, I think it was in the Axios interview, that he, that he had not talked about the bounty plot with President Putin of Russia. And Dan, I'll go, I'll go to you in a second. But Judy, first I wonder, as a parent, how did you react to hearing the news, not only that Russia was working to kill American soldiers, but that the President of the United States knew about it, couldn't be bothered to read his briefings, couldn't be bothered to talk to the president of Russia, um, and essentially did nothing to stop it, has done to this date, nothing to stop it. Right. And it, I actually, uh, it's so hard for me to believe that this has happened and that he has done nothing. Um, I think my first reaction was, well, of course, he's not going to hold Putin accountable. Because it's not that Ukraine has dirt on Joe Biden, it's that Putin has dirt on Trump. And I have felt this since he was elected, that his complicity with Russia is all about what they have on him. And, you know, I don't know if he's being blackmailed, but I think he's certainly, his personality is such that he would be vulnerable to that. And I think anybody that with a half a brain would say that, um, you know, he, he's, he's, we know that he has had dealings there and to deny it is, is just a denial of reality. And his behavior shouts guilt to me. It just shouts, they, that I'm avoiding, I'm going to do whatever Putin wants because he has something that can hurt me and I don't want to be hurt. So I'm just going to kiss his ass. Excuse my French. Dan, I'm assuming you watched the Axios interview with Jonathan Swan. 
I'm familiar with this interview, yes. <laughs> it's hard to avoid. But it seemed to me that, you know, that, that was, I think, the first time that he'd actually been cornered by a journalist because prior to that, it was Chris Wallace and Chris Wallace didn't ask him the question about Russian bounties. And, and it seemed pretty obvious that he was, he was actively trying to dodge that question to get as far away from it as possible to not answer it. And, um, and, and I just, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on not just that part of the interview, but also, do you think it's, do you think he's unwilling to stand up to Putin because he, you know, he secretly just wants his acceptance or do you think that there's some, you know, a, and whether or not that speculation is even valuable because the, the bottom line is he's not doing anything about it, but what's your read on it? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, so the, the advertisement I, I shot for, uh, for VFRL and, and Lincoln project, I, you know, I made mention of two possibilities. Um, I said he is either a coward or he is complicit. The coward, you know, is he a coward? Does Putin have, does Putin intimidate him? I think yes. Uh, you know, I, I, you can see it from the body language. You see it uh, in his interactions. You know, I can, I can tell you really, you know, when I think back of presidents, um, you know, who wouldn't, you know, if you got that intelligence and you're uh, Ronald Reagan, you know, Ronald Reagan would have walked out of that brief and said, get me Gorbachev on the phone right effing now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I Bush would have done it. The elder Bush would have done it. Probably Clinton would have done it. Obama would have done it. These are all these are all people who know that that is unacceptable and we're not going to tolerate that. And they would have done something about it. A second possibility is, you know, as as Judy was saying, I mean, he's complicit, right? Like he knows, he knew about it. He didn't want to make waves. There's some, whether it's, it's blackmail or, or financial dealings, there's something that, that Putin has on him. That's possible. And, you know, I'd also like to throw out the third possibility, which I guess is kind of the most charitable explanation. The third possibility really is just that he's completely incompetent and he's a moron, right? So, you know, but one of those three things has to be true. So the best thing you can say about Trump is that he's so dumb and so stupid that people didn't think he would do the right thing if they brought this to his attention. You know, I tend to think it's one of the first two, but I suppose it's possible he's just a complete idiot. Um, yeah. You know, the uh, these are all possible explanations for his behavior. I mean, to speculate about it, yeah, it's, it's kind of water under the bridge why he did it. The fact remains, at a minimum, He's known about it for at least 45 days, um, you know, and he, he still has done nothing about it. And, you know, aside, you know, even if you forget about all the moral, the ethical, the, the geopolitical ramifications, the reasons to do something about it, even if you just think about the silly domestic political, you know, all he has to do is just say, we're looking into it. We're going to get to the bottom of this, right? He can't even say that. It would go away, but he can't do that because he's so chicken scratch that you know that that's his worldview i really wonder why more people aren't talking about it given that it's it now that it, the news has broken he's you know he says he didn't know about it and now it's very clear he does know about it and still there's no action no answer and and we're all just left wondering sort of well what's the next thing that's going to happen 
Right. It's like what what else is happening? Are the you know are the are the Chinese bugging the embassy? You know, or like what what else is going on that Trump knows about and right. has just decided is not worth yeah. the time or too scary to confront. Yeah. So can you give us a little bit of a, a primer on the ethical rules uh, about criticizing a sitting president within the military as an active or retired military member? What are the what are the whether they are hard rules or they are cultural norms, um, can you explain that to our listeners who aren't familiar with military culture? Sure. I mean, the the quick answer is it's both. Um, you know, I think the military tries to be very apolitical, at least um, kind of in a public a public sense. I mean, this is a fascinating topic to me. Like the the civil military relations since the end of the draft and the transition to an all volunteer forces. You know, people have gotten PhDs about that. So that's, you know, a huge, massive conversation. But, um, you know, the Hatch Act uh, prohibits, you know, politically, um, you know, speaking out and, and becoming politically involved. So, you know, if you're on active duty, you just can't. You can't, right. Um, so, you know, and, and moreover, you shouldn't because it's, you know, ethically, you ought to be kind of, you know, you're, you're there to execute policy. You're not there to weigh in on how to make it. Now, once you get out, um, you know, it's, you, you can kind of say whatever you want. You're a private citizen and you have first amendment rights, just like everyone else. And we've seen some very high profile military figures lately do just that. And mm-hmm. so I wonder if they're doing that at some personal, uh, risk to themselves or if they're free and clear, are you able to speak to that? There are some, there are some very brave individuals, um, you know, Bill McRaven, you know, Mark Hurtling. Uh, you know, kind of immediate, you know, there's, there've been a host of kind of former four stars and in my opinion, they haven't done enough because the threat to this democracy is so great. Um, you know, my organization, you know, we're a bunch of ex Lance corporals and lieutenants, um, you know, and, and we're, uh, you know, trying to take the fight to, to Trump and Trumpism and, um, you know, we could use some more help. So, Hey, if you're an ex four star listening to this podcast, um, let's get in touch, but you know, it, this is a, an existential threat to our, to our democracy. And I, I'm baffled that, uh, more retired, uh, you know, command sergeant majors and, uh, and two-star generals are not speaking out. But there, but there are many who are like yourself and, and we, you know, at the Lincoln project, we're building a coalition, a veterans coalition with lots of, uh, former military members and retired military members who are, who are, who are joining. Uh, our ranks every day. Judy, I wonder if you have thoughts on why so many members of the military in particular are speaking out against Trump. I mean, if it, you know, for all the reasons probably we've discussed so far, but are there other things that we haven't? We are not a military family, but I would think just as general citizens, if they're anything like me, I'm embarrassed by our president. You know, in the international, how he presents himself internationally, um, it's, it's a folly. And, you know, if I was in the military, especially in a leadership position in the military, knowing that this is how he is representing our nation across the world, I would be horrified knowing that I had to then follow up in, in one of those nations and try to clean up the mess. Um, our relationships across the globe have been so greatly damaged by this man. It's, you know, I, I just hope and pray that world leaders 
especially de democratic wor world leaders, will give us a second chance. And and I hope and pray that after November, uh, you know, someone who understands world relations and international politics uh, will help heal the world from this man because he's just damaged the whole world. Do you think it's do you think it's unfair to say uh, that that really Americans can't claim to care about our military members and support the president at this point at the same time? You know, I, I can't speak for other people, but what I can tell you is that um, he has no clue what honor is. And having raised a son who chose such an honorable job in the, in the military um, and who, you know, after 9-11 was ready to enlist and held off because we wanted him to get his college education, um, I, I think Trump is fundamentally incapable of understanding honor and commitment to this country. And so even the military piece aside, I, I don't understand how anyone can support him in this job. We talked about whether you'd trust Donald Trump with your child's life. And I wonder when we think about Joe Biden, whose son was in the Delaware Army National Guard and deployed in Iraq in 2009, and someone who has seen great tragedy in his personal life. How do you think about? a President Biden, and maybe draw some contrast to um, to our, our current president. You know, one of the things we're doing at the Lincoln Project, obviously, is, is speaking to Republicans who are making up their minds uh, about who to vote for in, um, in November. And many of them have never voted for a Democrat in their life. And this might be the first time they do. It might be the only time they do. But it's a very sincere question for them. And, and, and a lot of them are still on the fence and, and aren't sure. So from the, from the context that we're approaching this conversation, how do you draw contrast between the choices and, you know, focusing on, uh, on Joe Biden as, as the alternative to, to Donald Trump? I'll advise people who would like to hear uh, Joe Biden talk about grief to look at, to look under YouTube. There is um, a YouTube video of a presentation he gave to um, at a TAPS retreat, the tragic assistance program through the military for Gold Star families. And in his presentation, he talked about his grief experience when his wife and daughter were killed in the car accident. And it, it, he is so genuine and so willing to take an emotional risk with that group of families. It's, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal presentation. And I think for me, he is a real person. You know, he has lost two children, one in a car accident and one to cancer. Um, he has gone through his life being turned upside down and knows what it's like to muddle through that time and come out on the other side. And, you know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, well, how do you stay strong? You know, how do you 
deal with your grief on a day-to-day basis? And the most honest answer is, I don't have a choice. You know, I could, I guess, lay in bed in a fetal position, curled up in a ball and just not function. But I have two other children, Joel's wife, you know, we, we need each other. And, um, and I think Vice President Biden has those, those strengths and skills. He has met tragedy and he has come out a better person on the other side. Um, And he's honest about it. He's willing to go out on a limb and and talk about it. And I think that that is something that Donald Trump is incapable of. Um, You know, he has obviously lost family members to death um, and it it didn't even seem to phase him. Dan. What are your thoughts? I voted mostly, but not exclusively Republican my adult life. I consider myself a conservative. And here's what I would say to any conservatives who are kind of on the fence is, guys, it's okay. Vote for Biden. This is not a normal election. This is an existential crisis to our democracy. We can argue about Social Security after this. We'll get back, you know. Um, Republicans, you know, you were kind of good in, in some ways in, in those Obama years as the minority party, like, let just, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine, you know, but you got to do the right thing for the country. The country is more important than the Republican party, um, by leaps and bounds and orders of magnitude vote for Biden. Now, that being said, um, you know, particularly how it, relates to the military, I think there's, you know, a few very serious, relevant differences between the two, um, you know, the two men. I mean, you know, the thing about Trump is, he, you know, he's very impulsive, right? So that's not a good quality in, in, uh, in a leadership where people are, are in a life and death profession. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, a quality that um, you know, multiple people at multiple times, including General Mattis, have said, you know, um, well, let's just slow walk this one and wait till he calms down a little bit. Well, eventually, you know, one of these things is going to, you know, bite the adults in the room, quote unquote, you know, in the bud because, um, you know, he's just getting more senile. He's just getting more, you know, uh, impulsive and spontaneous and, and not thinking things through. Um, now, you know, you hear the argument, oh, Joe's getting senile and and stuff like that too. But, you know, Joe, Joe Biden's not going to surround himself with enablers and yes men, uh, the way that Trump does. And so I feel a lot better about, you know, in this election, in this particular set of circumstances, Joe Biden, than I do Trump. Um, and that's both as a, as a civilian now. And, and when I think of, of my own military service. Before we start to wrap up, I wonder if there's anything that you wish someone would ask you about your experience. I ask this because I'm coming into these conversations with the questions that I think our listeners need to hear and the information they need to understand. But I I also want to make sure that we're not missing part of the story or part of your experience or part of the wisdom that you might have to offer to folks because... I didn't bring the right question. So is there something that you've never been asked that 
that you wish you had been? Yeah, so maybe not maybe not a direct question per se, but I'd like to, you know, at least use this platform to offer a thought on on military service in general, especially especially now. The military there's a lot of hero worship, um, I think, on behalf of the general public. Uh, some of it very well placed. I mean, someone like Joel, um, you know, someone who who lost their legs in an IED. Those are special people um, who deserve to be commemorated, who deserve to be remembered, and their their sacrifice deserves to be honored. Veterans, but I, I want to say this clearly: veterans are not victims. Mm-hmm. Um, there is kind of a lot of uh, you know, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's, um, uh, you know, kind of just the, the popular press, you know, you don't need to thank me for my service. Okay. I didn't do, I played one small part in, you know, a, a couple of deployments, right? Like that's, I chose to do that. I volunteered to do that. And that was my decision. Um, most of us do not have PTSD. I do not have PTSD. Um, most combat veterans do not have PTSD. Um, we're, we're whole people. We're proud of what we did. Um, but we are not victims. And, you know, this kind of trope of the veteran as a victim who was sort of, um, you know, abused, uh, you know, as a pawn, um, for the most part, that's just untrue. Um, there, there, there are exceptions to that. There are folks who had, you know, horrible things happen and, and deal with and struggle with mental issues, mental health issues when they come back. Um, but most of us, you know, we just want to be treated like like fellow citizens because that's what we are. Um, we are not victims, and um, you know, and and but we take our citizenship seriously. And speaking out against Trump um, is less about me being, you know, uh, an ex anything, and more about me being an American citizen who takes this democracy and our 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 rule of law seriously. So that's that's all I would say. It, I know it's not exactly what you asked, but no, it is. That's, that's really helpful. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. I appreciate it. Um, okay. I think, um, there's, there's this one last question that I've asked, um, lots of guests so far, uh, with a wide range of answers that are all equally powerful. And so I want to ask both of you, um, Dan, maybe you could go first and, and then Judy, but, You've got five minutes in a room with Donald Trump and there's no cameras, there's nobody watching. It's just the two of you and you have an opportunity to say something to him. What do you say? What I would say is I would ask him, do you understand the consequences of this office? Like, do you, I'd be curious to know if he, does he actually understand um, that when he, you know, tweets off something silly at three in the morning, he's upset. Um, you know, people take that seriously. Does he understand, um, you know, that there are people are getting hurt and getting killed in the streets right now because of things that he's added? Um, do, does he understand that he's thrown gasoline on the fire and these are real people? You know, that's that's what I would ask him. I, I you know, do you get it, man? Do you? Do you even do you, I mean, do you even care? But like, do you do you get it? Mm. Do you understand that, uh, you know, this office that you hold is incredibly important and has real world consequences. Um, you know, do you do you understand that we're a democracy? 
and interfering with our elections is, uh, you know, if you can't make an argument and convince the American people that you should be elected, you should not be elected. You know, don't try to cheat. You know, that's that's what I'd be curious. I'd be curious to see if he even gets it. Yeah. Judy? This was a wonderful question for me because I have mentally rehearsed this so many mm. times. Um, not even with President Trump, but but actually a couple other people. So I'm I'm just I wrote it down and I'm I'm gonna say it as I thought it. Mr. President, my son Joel took an oath, just as you did. He vowed as a pararescue combat rescue officer to put his life and safety second to those he set out to rescue, living the motto, these things we do that others may live. You, sir, have done the exact opposite. Rather than giving selfless service, you have demonstrated self-centered, selfish service. You have gained personally while the American people have lost jobs, safety, environmental stability, and their lives because you, sir, sir, have put yourself and your interests above all else. Joel graduated from what the military calls Superman school, yet he remained humble. You have placed yourself on a pedestal built of lies, conceit, and greed. I wish I could trade places with my son so he could help vote you out of office. Thank you to Judy and Dan for coming on the show, and thanks to everyone at home for listening. This episode was recorded when I hosted the Lincoln Project podcast on this feed. If you have any questions or advice, you can reach us at podcast at politicology.com. And please know that even if we don't respond, we read every email we get, and we love hearing from you. If you enjoy the show, it would help us if you could rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.